When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and this week I am joined by a special guest, um, Analyzing Anfield debut. For Andrew Beasley, also known as Bass Tuned to Red on Twitter. How do you feel, mate? Yeah, good to be here. I'm, uh, you know, nervous filling in for for Mo. Obviously, he's done a great job on the the podcast. I was sort of saying beforehand, I listen every week. So uh, hopefully I can do some decent contributions, uh, taking over from him, at least in the short term. Yeah, well, the situation with Mo, as we said last week, is, is up in the air. I, I did check the comments last week, actually, and the, the support for him was unanimous. So we did hear that. Uh, but that's there's no update on that yet. That's still just kind of in the works. But in the, in the meantime, as you say, I do have an opportunity to get in the odd special guest. And you are certainly one of them, mate. Uh, for those who aren't aware, for those who probably aren't on Twitter and things like that, I'd say Bees is probably a, a Liverpool analytics OG, to be honest. <laughs> um, Certainly on the scene before I was. Well, I'm quite a bit older than you, I think, as well. So that probably, <laughs> that, that probably helped. But yeah, I mean, you know, when, when sort of football stats first started becoming a thing, probably 2010, 2011, around then and stuff like that. And I, I was sort of getting interested in it and um, just noticing little bits and bobs from the very limited data you could get in those days. You know, things like, you know, if you had a list of plays who created chances, you were ahead of the guys who had the list of assists. It was that sort of level of yeah um, of insight at that point. But um, yeah, I was sort of into it from the beginning, always being quite mathematically minded. And um, yeah, obviously that's quite a long time ago now. So, you know, I've got spreadsheets going back to like 20, 2009 and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a long road and obviously yeah. no doubt the data will improve as well in, in the future. But um, yeah, when you think of what it started at, it's, it's come on so much in the last sort of 10 years or so. Yeah, I actually re- remember reading one of your pieces um, before we'd ever spoke, I think. And this was kind of before I was really into the whole number side of things. But it was around the time Liverpool were, were going to get Klopp. And I can't remember if it was on like Tompkins Times or if it was on maybe like your own website or WordPress or something. But it yeah. was on along the lines of the the expected goals numbers Klopp had posted at Dortmund, you know, was, was four compared to his against the difference he'd made as a coach. And I think the conclusion was along the lines of like, if he can deliver that at Liverpool, those performance numbers at Liverpool, you know, with him for a, a ride basically. And uh, I remember reading that and thinking to myself, like that's an interesting way of putting it basically. And now I'm doing similar stuff nowadays. Um, so yeah, it's good to have you on the show, mate. And yeah, like Dan Kennedy the other week, Obviously, Dan Kennett will come on as a guest. We started the show with, I, I asked for his kind of headline catchphrase diagnosis of what is the problem with Liverpool this season. What is the kind of overriding issue? And I'm going to stick with that now 
for the to start this show. So in kind of a few words, a line, a sentence, whatever you want, kind of diagnose for us what you think has happened to Liverpool this season. I mean, this could probably take up the rest of the show, couldn't it, really? <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, if you want me, feel free. <laughs> um, I think on the whole, it's a lot of small things combining at once to just make this sort of horror show of a season, basically, yeah. is the headline. Um, I think... I guess it all sort of breaks down into sections, doesn't it? Like the team isn't pressing as well from the front. They were the masters of that basically. And like last season they were winning the ball in the final third over seven times a game. And now it's about five times per game, which doesn't sound like a huge drop, but their possession has gone down as well. So you think, well, you should have more opportunities to win the ball back. And they haven't been doing that as well, which is understandable because it's sort of a new look um, front three. You've had the injuries feeding into that, that it's been very difficult to, to get a consistent lineup on the pitch. You see the likes of Arsenal and Newcastle probably having better than expected seasons. And I, and I can't help but think a huge part of that is the fact they can play the same 11 players more or less every week, certainly far more than yeah. Liverpool. But I think it comes back to the sort of lack of, of pressure on the, on the ball when the, when the opposition have it. I mean, I keep thinking back to a game um, when Liverpool played Real Madrid a couple of years ago. It was behind closed doors and they lost 3-1. And a big part of it was, big part of the problem was Klopp saying, like, we, we didn't put enough pressure on the ball when they had it. It was too easy for them to make their passes. And at the time, it was something of a one-off, but it's sort of been the issue throughout the season. That game has just been repeated time and time again. And it's not just been Real Madrid who've been doing it to Liverpool. It's been some of the um, worst teams in the Premier League have, have been doing it to, to Liverpool, if not quite so consistently. So I think it all sort of starts from the front and everything else kind of goes from there. And I think some of it has been tactical. Obviously, we saw a bit of mid-block stuff, um, you know, earlier this year. You know, some of it has been to an extent deliberate. But it seems like they've moved away from what made Klopp's Liverpool great. And the players haven't been in good enough form for, for them to be able to do that and still win games of football on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think you're spot on, mate. I think that's a, that's a really good analysis, really. Um, I myself have been a bit concerned about the, the press from the front. So I think, um, you know, get, getting Nunes to grips with that. I think Gakpo has come in, probably made a bit more of an impression on the, on the defensive side than Nunes did, but still getting to grips with it. Diaz has been out. We've had Carvalho win at times. Elliot is a big presser in the numbers, at least. But, you know, maybe doesn't have the ball winning tendencies just yet. Um, but I think the whole pressure on the ball thing is, is a good show because I do think the majority of that in previous seasons, I suppose, is kind of stemmed from from the engine room, like, which is what Klopp calls it, and he calls it that for a reason. And, you know, we used to label the likes of Wijnaldum, Henderson, Milner as, as workhorses, essentially. And that was what they were. They were, they were all about pressure on the ball. They were all about providing Liverpool with a platform to dominate games and control games. And uh, I sent out a newsletter last night, actually. And um, I think it's interesting that even last season, as we were going towards a quadruple, we all kind of knew at the time that we, we were too heavily reliant on Thiago um, to, to control games for us. And whenever he was absent, it just felt a lot more up in the air as to whether Liverpool would win a game. Um, we get to the summer, we have the opportunity to get in somebody else to help them do that. Too many was the Tigers, obviously, which made a lot of sense. Shame we didn't get them. 
But when we didn't get him, we, we went into the new season with the same group of midfielders. Thiago gets injured in the first game. And now we've kind of snowballed a little bit. And now, as you say, we've got a number of other issues ongoing. Confidence is now a thing. All the centre-backs look like they fell off a cliff. Fabinho looks a different player. Um, there's loads of it. I mean, the, the, the attack now now looks a little bit toothless all of a sudden, out of nowhere. So I do think you're right that it's it's spiral from a lot of things, but I do think the main thing really is just putting pressure on the opposition. And yeah. uh, we haven't really been doing that enough this season. No, and I think as well, it's something I keep coming back to, is when you look back through the Premier League era, like apart from 2019-20, Whenever Liverpool have finished second in the league, the next season has then always been terrible, apart from 1920. Obviously, they won the league. They maintained it. I'm sure the confidence boost of winning the Champions League probably helped. But there was a history at the club of them putting everything into finishing second, just falling short, and then just things snowballing out of control the following season. We saw it in 2002, 2009, 2014. I mean, I think that makes for a good um, comparison season as well, actually. 2014-15... Obviously, different style of play, slightly under Brendan Rodgers. But, you know, that season, the Liverpool attack uh, basically dried up, which it seems to be doing at the moment. You had Rodgers trying various different tactical things to cover for defensive frailties. We've seen a bit of that from Klopp as well. So it it seems like there's sort of parallels to be drawn with that. But, um, yeah, the main issue is it, it seems to be a common thing that they just fall off a cliff the season after finishing second. And uh, it's quite annoying, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And uh, you mentioned availability there as well in terms of players with, with the likes of Newcastle and the likes of Arsenal. I've, I've just had a look back at when Liverpool won the league um, a few seasons ago. And in that season, we had seven players who started at least 31 Premier League games or more. And those players as well, I mean, Virgil van Dijk, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Gina Wijnaldum, Andy Robertson, Roberto Firmino, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. You know, they're absolute pillars of what Liverpool do. And you've also got Alison Becker there on 29 starts and Jordan Henderson on 26. So I do think that's a massive thing as well. The whole injury issue that's ongoing at Liverpool is a bit crazy. I mean, right now we look a little bit okay. I thought it was a bit concerning though the other day when Klopp had his press conference and he said something along the lines of like... um. Previous seasons, like maybe at Dortmund as well, when he got players back, we kind of got back to normal. And he, he kind of said in his presser that like we've now got players back and nothing has changed, uh, which is a little bit of a concern. And we are going to touch on Klopp later in the show. That's that, To be honest, that's one that we've avoided. Um, I haven't actually tackled the whole Klopp sacking topic and where we stand on that and his performance for this season so we are going to touch on that this week a bit of a delicate one I'm sure but um, before we do sadly we have to touch on this week Uh, we've got Chelsea and City to get through quickly (laughs) Um, yeah don't want to dwell on those really no no Uh, it hasn't been a great week I mean as a side note for me I'm now up to 10th in the Analyzing Anfield FPL League so that's not a bad thing but in terms of Liverpool it's it's been dire, hasn't it? Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it has. I mean, you don't want to overreact because obviously these are two very difficult games. Like Liverpool's last three games have been against teams who are Champions League quarter finalists this season. It's not 
surprising that a struggling Liverpool team has not taken any, taken too much from those games. You know, you look at Man United, they're having a better season than Liverpool, but they got beat three by three at Man City and they drew at Chelsea. Same results as Liverpool have just had. But obviously, when it comes on the back of everything that's gone before, it just feels very demoralising as this was, you know, going to be the start of the the push for, for Champions League qualification. And obviously, you know, in both games in a lot of ways were quite similar. You know, Man City and Chelsea and actually Real Madrid, if we just look back to that as well, they all had four opt-to-define clear-cut chances and Liverpool didn't have any. And in all three of those games, Liverpool had one shot in the second half. Yeah. And you can add those three shots from those three games together and it comes to 0.1 expected goals. <laughs> so when you, when, you, when you frame it like that, you could say, well, Liverpool conceded four at uh, City and, and nothing at Chelsea, but it could easily have been four at both or it could have been two at both or, or whatever. It's just the way the sort of goals have fallen. Like Chelsea, mm. as, as everyone knows, I mean, their, their forwards are, are very out of form. I mean, with half-decent finishing or Alisson just having a sort of routine game rather than an, his sort of customary excellent game, Liverpool probably lose there as well. Let's be honest, the XG was something like two to 0.2 or something like that. So, yeah. These last three games, whilst you have to acknowledge that they they were very difficult games, they've played out in almost identical fashion. Lots of big chances for the opponents, nothing for Liverpool, and nothing at all, basically, in the second halves of games. So when you yeah. think that it's Arsenal next, I mean, obviously, slightly different in that it's at Anfield rather than away from home, but it's hard not to assume that the same thing is, is possibly going to happen again. Yeah, yeah. Um... It really hasn't been great. I mean, Chelsea did score twice, to be fair to them, but they were they were ruled out for very marginal. I suppose that was a bit of luck. I suppose from yeah. our side of things. Um, but yeah, you touched on the numbers there. They are not good numbers at all. Um, Liverpool in both games against Chelsea and Manchester City posted an expected goals of 0.3. In other words, you're not scoring. And in terms of defensive side of the game. City created chances worth 2.9 expected goals and Chelsea created shots worth 2.2 expected goals. So they're pretty comfortable a 2-0 and a 3-0 loss, really. Um, yeah. Which is just not very good. And again, the attacking side is, is particularly worrying because that's one thing that Klopp's Liverpool have kind of always delivered at some point or another. It's always been... Uh, maybe a lot of that stems from the fact it's always been Salamani Firmino in the team and they've been relentlessly available and they've been relentlessly delivering goals and creating chances and things like that. But right now, even with a few players back, like Josh is back and um, Gakpo, Diaz, is, Diaz hasn't played to be fair yet, but uh, the attacking side of the, the, the attacking fall off, I think, stems from the defensive kind of issues that we've got and the, the desire to suddenly show attitude and mentality. And on the back of showing that, you kind of stop doing everything else, really. Um, yeah, it's it's again, it's another season to compare, I guess, is 2021, when obviously there was all the injuries to the centre-backs and different players having to fill in there and stuff like that. And at least initially, it basically blunted the attack because the whole sort of build-up play went. And again, that's something else we've seen, we've seen quite a lot this season. I mean, I think... With the Chelsea game, I guess it's kind of no surprise they didn't create a lot. I mean, you know, four of their top five players for clear, creating clear-cut chances this season, they weren't playing. And the only one who was, Nunes, most of his clear-cut chances have been for Salah, who wasn't playing. Yeah. 
So you can kind of understand to an extent that if he, if Klopp felt he had to rotate the team, that was going to come at a cost. But at the same time, I, it wasn't really clear how Liverpool were trying to score a goal. Like I wasn't really sure. You're, all right, you haven't got Trent, you haven't got Robson, you haven't got Salah. These things happen. You've got to give them a rest at times and stuff. But the, but, but how were they going to score? I, I It just didn't look very likely. There was that probably one moment Jota maybe could have had a decent chance, but he took a touch instead of hitting it first time. Yeah. Um, I think it was possibly Jones played the through ball or something to him, but there was very little. I, I don't really know how they were gonna, how they were ever going to score in that game. Well, one, one thing I thought was curious about his selection was um, obviously Chelsea playing a back three of late wing backs, and the the three players that we kind of had, and we probably were always going to have going into the game, were probably going to be our fullbacks in terms of building the game. But we 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 dropped Trent and we dropped Robbo. And we bring in Gomez and Simicas, who just add certainly when it comes to Gomez. I mean, the, I'm not saying Trent deserves to play by any means, but in terms of what he does on the ball, at least there's a big difference between the two. So the players that we had free, the players with time on the ball, couldn't really move us up the park particularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of man marked in the middle in terms of Felix dropping back onto uh, Fabinho, and then their midfield three just picking up Firmino. Uh, and our two number eights. So we just kind of had no real way of, of moving forward. Um, but you've just touched on the fixtures there in terms of what we've suffered from lately against Madrid, Bournemouth even, Chelsea and City. Obviously, the recurring theme there is that they're all away from home. Mm. Do you have any take on, on, on what that's about, apart from the whole, like, cliche line of um, they don't want to... They don't want to scrap, they're not willing to put the fight up, they haven't got the character, they haven't got the leaders. Is there anything more to it than that for you, or is it just variance or what? I think a lot of it is is variance. I think some of these um results could have happened at, at Anfield this season. I don't think it's it's that big a divide. And then you have things like the game with with Bournemouth and there was another one I'm struggling to remember from earlier this season. Like Liverpool had lots of decent chances. They they've had games where they've had decent chances without playing well, like even with their struggles recently. I mean, they're still averaging three clear-cut chances per game in the league this season, which you look back through history, very few teams sort of hit that mark. So the season as a whole, they've been creating enough chances, but they've they've just been really wasteful. I think it was possibly Nottingham Forest. They had a few decent chances as well. Some of them were from, all right, only perhaps from set pieces rather than open play. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know... They've had games where they they haven't played well. Don't get me wrong, but they've had chances to get more points than they have, and they haven't taken them. And it's yeah, just well, another one of these factors. Um, I wrote a thing about it earlier this week for the Echo. Like their their conversion rate for clear cut chances is the second worst they've had in any of the last twelve seasons. I think it is. And as soon as you're not scoring goals, you're immediately putting pressure on a on a midfield and a defence, which has clearly looked not up to the task of of that sort of thing. So that there have been some poor performances on the road, but they've have had chances in some of the games, not this week, but some of the games to take more from them. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to remember a, a season that has gone as badly as this away from home because what is it? Three wins, I think, so far. And um, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Theoretically, the remaining games are all against struggling teams, but they're struggling teams who are desperate for points and. As we've seen at Bournemouth, at Nottingham Forest, you know these teams can can sort of do a number on Liverpool if Liverpool don't take their chances, and the same thing could could potentially happen again, I guess. 
Yeah, well, I, I give my take on the the away thing recently. I can't remember what show I did on. I don't I don't know if it was somewhere else other than, other than analyzing Anfield. But my, my basic, very generic take on it was that I think away from home we we are just more inclined to be attacked by teams who are playing with their home support. There's an added emphasis to basically have a go, whereas if they come to Anfield, it's a bit more backs against the wall and we would we'll take a point and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think this season, whenever Liverpool have been attacked, they haven't really been able to cope for, for the most part. And we've only really gained control over games, I think, when the game state has changed, as in the opposition have maybe gained a goal lead or, or, or something like that. But you touched on Liverpool's attacking numbers there. I do think it is interesting because if you look at the season as a whole, as you say, um, only City and Arsenal average more shots on a pay ninety basis, and in terms of expected goals on a pay ninety basis, only City, Arsenal, and Brighton actually um, are above Liverpool for that. But Liverpool comfortably top four. I've said all season for their attack. Maybe not specifically the finishing. The finishing hasn't been particularly there. Um, but in terms of Liverpool's attacking game, I don't think that needs too much work. The, the work that does need to to begin, the improvements that do need to be made, they, they are without the ball um, on the defensive side of the game when it comes to pressure and, and things like that. And I suppose that brings us on to one of the talking points of the, the week that we've had, one of my talking points at least, and, and that is Fabinho. Uh, I want to ask you about him. He's an interesting one for me because I think you look at you can look at Henderson's suggest he's, he's maybe over the hill. You can look at Milner and certainly suggest that. You can look at Thiago and probably suggest that. You can look at maybe Jones, Elliot, Carvalho and suggest that they're not really at the hill yet. Um, but with Fabinho, he feels like a player who should still be delivering. It, he feels like a player who's not guaranteed to be moved on or in, in the summer. So he he's one who... I'm always curious to get people's opinions on as to whether you think it's a blip or just a sudden rapid decline, really. Um, I hope it's a blip. I fear (laughs) it's a decline. Um, I think it was sort of interesting when you look back now. Um, He was possibly struggling a little bit towards the end of last season and then he suffered an injury and I can't help thinking they rushed him back because it was the Champions League final. And I'm sure if Liverpool weren't in that, perhaps he wouldn't have uh, you know, been rushed back quite so quickly. So he plays in that. He then goes to Korea and plays with um, Brazil immediately afterwards. There's then a shortened summer because of uh, needing to fit stuff in before the World Cup. Then he's back in with Liverpool straight away. So I think all these things sort of um, combine together. You've then also got the fact, um, I'm sure you've probably seen the numbers, but, you know, his career minutes, are, yeah. whilst he's sort of 29, his career minutes are more similar to somebody who's 35. And that yeah. obviously takes a toll. You know, he's been playing sort of 4,000 plus minutes every season for however many years it is now. And that takes a toll as well. So I think, as with the team as a whole, it's kind of all these factors um, together are, are not doing him any favours. I don't think he's necessarily finished. Um, And I think that's the same for a lot of these um, players in the Liverpool team who are being sort of questioned. But I do worry that maybe this version of Liverpool and the way they play is finished and there needs to be some, some, you know, serious changes. Like I think whether it's a change of formation, but, you know, you you 
get some decent young midfielders in with um, who could just run a bit more and sort of cover Fabinho in in that sense. And I think he could still be an asset next season. And I also think with the with the turnover, there's going to be in the midfield guys like Cater and Oxley Chamberlain leaving, probably Milner, or even if he stays, he isn't going to play much. Like they probably can't afford to just sort of sell um, Fabinho this summer. I wouldn't think. They probably need to see if they could get a decent season out of him next year while Bacetic sort of continues to develop and probably take over in the long term. So, um, yeah, as I say, I, I hope he's not finished and, I, and I'm not sure that he is, but I do worry that, um, you know, perhaps he is ultimately. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I mean, just, just watching him the past week, it, it he's just had so many moments I've felt where he's just been a, a second late and and he's either been beaten or he's or he's fouled his man or he's just that sort of thing. And that really is all it takes. It just takes a second decline in terms of like your timing or your reading of the play or your running ability. You only need to be a second later than you usually are. And rather than regaining the ball with immaculate timing, you're instead giving away a foul. Yeah. Um, he is 29. Um, he's got a contract until 2026, which suggests to me that Liverpool didn't really intend on selling him at any point this summer. Um, no. Potentially next summer. But this summer, that contract tells me that the plan originally, at least, was for him to definitely stay again and do another year. Uh, I do think he probably will. Mm. But I suppose you just do have that question mark because it was is decline and I think it's interesting if you look at who Liverpool are linked with in the transfer market we're not really linked with any sixes um, they're all kind of eights they're all players who will put pressure on the ball in the final third and, and on the edge in the middle third rather than um, extinguishing fires in, in slightly deeper spaces which is what Fabinho has been greater but lately uh, hasn't been so it, he's an insistent one for me in terms of what we're going to do with him Um and in, in terms of like looking ahead to this the summer, I I have got I am curious about who you maybe think we should target. I assume you would like us to get Jude Bellingham. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you heard of Jude Bellingham. He's quite good. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's not bad, is he? He's not bad. Um, obviously, guys like us, you know, writing for Echo and .com and stuff, seem to you know, write a Bellingham piece probably most weeks because. Yeah. Uh, People love that sort of thing. And understandably so. I mean, he's a fantastic player and, you know, he would add so much to to Liverpool. Um, I'm, I'm quite intrigued by the Mason Mount links as well. I um, was talking, yeah. about, talking about it with Dave on the morning Bullington, Bullington earlier and about how, you know, whether Lampard going back, whether, you know, Mount will play and whether that will affect his decision and stuff like that. But I think he would be a really good addition for Liverpool um, if they could get him in. Um a lot's going to depend on Bellingham, isn't it? Inevitably, because if they get him and how much they'll have to spend on him, well, well, what's left? You know, do they then sell somebody like Curtis Jones or maybe Fabinho to bring in the money to buy a mount and stuff like that? I mean, obviously, they'll know what their sort of budget is and how that will all sort of play out and things like that. But um, yeah, I think I think Mount would be a really good addition. Yeah, you think? yeah. No, I agree. I, I'm a big fan of Monks. I think... Um... He, he he does feel very very clopped to me. He feels like a natural pressure when he's defending. Um, I think he's naturally inclined to just be proactive and and chase the ball. And he, he does put a foot in, and 
he kind of reminds me of, I think I might have said this a few months back, but he's not quite as special, but I think in terms of his profile, I don't think he's that dissimilar to, to what Gavi kind of offers mm-hmm. in terms of being a real dog without the ball. But with the ball, he's very technical, can play a pass, can even play like as a 10 or as a forward if you need him to. Um, but I think he would be best as a as a number eight. And he's he's still only 24, I think, English homegrown. I think you're weakening one of your rivals if you get him. Mm-hmm. So I would absolutely be, be be completely sold on on Mason Mount if we were to get him. And I'd, I'd go... I mean, if you were to ask me, Mason Mount, 50 million. I, I think 50 million is fine for Mason Mount. If you get... Yeah. Higher than that, you're getting a little bit of a nosebleed, I think. But um, <laughs> I think he's a top player. And I think uh, in terms of Bellingham, I mean, the the, the rumours seem good. I mean, mm. it, it looks like Liverpool still, even despite the whole Champions League thing, very much in the fray to, to land them. And I think the, the recent news as well about maybe Matthias Nunes going a little bit cold, mm. I think also probably bodes well for Bellingham's arrival. Because I think if... If Bellingham wasn't going to come, maybe Nunes is a kind of alternative who's not quite as well-rounded, has lots of potential on his game. But I think the fact that we're kind of going cold on that and, and Wolves, is, the, the rumour is that Wolves are going to keep him, I think bodes well. Um, there's a few other players in the Premier League who, who I think are applicable to Liverpool's issues. I think Moises Casado is a, an obvious solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, his teammate, Alexis McAllister, I'm a massive fan of. Yeah. Um, be interesting to see where Declan Rice ends up, but then Declan Rice is a bit more of a six, so maybe he's not as much of a target for Liverpool considering Klopp wants to kind of install a high pressure again, higher up the pitch. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see who we end up with because it's a summer that Liverpool absolutely have to get right, really, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, if they if they get this wrong, uh, you know, assuming they finish outside the top four this season, as as looks likely, if they don't get the transfer business right, it's going to be very difficult to get back in. And once that happens, you see with sort of other clubs how these things can sort of drag on for a couple of years, and you know, so it's it is hugely important, as you say. Um, I guess the good thing with with Bellingham, you sort of feel like because he's young enough, Liverpool could say, "Well, come on, help us get back into the Champions League." Yeah. And if we don't manage it, well, we can still sell you to Real Madrid anyway or whatever. Like, he's so young that he could do yeah. a couple of years at Liverpool and, and hopefully get them back up to the top. But if not, you know, it's not like his career will be over and stuff like that. I mean, he's another one, just to tie back to Fabinho, he's another player who's got much more minutes in his legs than a player of his age would would normally have. It sort of feels like now is the best time to get him because further down the line, he's going to have you know, tremendous amount of um, playing time under his belt and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think getting him could solve quite a lot of problems. Not all of Liverpool's problems, certainly, but they would immediately be in much better shape, I think, with with someone like Bellingham. And and the addition of Mount, I was just going to mention as well, there's been comparisons with Lallana, and I think that's fair. I think Klopp would love him for, you know, if he did turn out to be that sort of player. You get Bellingham and Mount, even if you've got nobody else, I'm not saying it's a perfect summer, but I think it would be a it would be a very good summer. Yeah, I agree. I think that's those are two real additions there. And obviously Liverpool's weakest department is midfield. And if you were to get into comfortable England internationals, both of whom are like elite players in my opinion, you would be really strengthening that department. And obviously you would you would see Harvey Elliott come on again, probably Bersetic would press on again. Um and in terms of pressure on the ball. And Fabinho maybe getting a bit more protection, he would then be fielded 
alongside two number eights who can certainly run, uh, still in the primes of the career. Like I saw the um, the viz that you posted about the um, the the kind of lack of Liverpool players or midfielders. It might have been specifically between the ages of like twenty two mm-hmm. to twenty eight, was it something like that? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was just for the um, the midfielders. Yeah, they've had um, 300 minutes or so from Curtis Jones, who's 22, and 300 or so from Naby Keita, who's 28. And there's like, that's it for that for that sort of age range. And the other 19 teams in the league have had an average of 70% of their midfield minutes from players aged 22 to 28. And Liverpool have had 7%. And again, you know, keep referring to Newcastle having a good season apart from about half an hour they've given to Matt Ritchie, all of their midfield minutes have, have come from that that age range. And again, it's not the be-all and end-all. You know, if they sign Bellingham, he's outside that age range. You know, yeah. Manchester City and Arsenal are down towards the bottom end of, um, you know, the number of minutes that have been given to players in that age range. But ultimately, it looks like it, it makes a difference and, it, and it's a big sort of gaping hole in the, in the Liverpool team. And I think not to the same extent, but you can play a similar game with the other parts of the team, you know, with, with, the, with the back four, with the centre-backs. You've got Van Dijk and Matip, who are sort of nearing the ends of their careers. And you've got Konate and Gomez, who are young. And obviously up front, you've got Salah, Firmino, right, he'll be going soon. But obviously Nunes is, is very young, so... Um, I might have to do the chart for the whole team, but basically, yeah, a bit of a bit of a peak age void at, at Liverpool compared to certainly their rivals and um, you know teams who are having better seasons than they are. Yeah, it, when you put it like that, it is such an oversight, really, when you think about it. Last summer, I mean, Chua Many was an ideal target, and we have said that a few times on this on this podcast. But um, to to not source an alternative, yeah, I just think it's it was such a mistake. And I think Klopp seemed to realise late in the window, really late in the window. I think Matthias Nunes was maybe kind of yeah. like a, a target. And I think that was when Klopp came out and said, I'd be willing to take more risks than, than FSG or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, t- 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 go on. No, I was just going to say, I think with Klopp as well, I think he has more faith in his players than than a lot of fans do. Yeah. Um, and, and that's fair enough because, you know, a lot of them have delivered, you know, fantastic things for him. But... I think he has a lot of faith in them. Not necessarily too loyal, but he's got a lot of faith. And I think this season he's found that, you know, that's that's maybe cost him. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you touched on on the fact that City and, and Arsenal are also playing relatively old midfielders, if you like. I mean, Granit Xhaka is, is 30. Um, Thomas Partey is 29. Ilkay Gundogan still looks brilliant. I think he's about 32 or something like that, 33 maybe. Mm-hmm. But I think one one big thing to remember with all that is that I just feel like Liverpool's game is a lot more intense in terms of it's just a bit more basketball. It's a bit more high tempo. City's tempo is really slow compared to Liverpool's and they accelerate the game really careful moments and they can predict when the ball's going to be lost and all press like dogs for 10 seconds before regaining the ball. Liverpool just feels a bit more, I suppose, entertaining, if you could call it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit more chaotic, isn't it? It's a bit more full pitch, a um, bit more transition, which is natural considering we've got Klopp in charge of the team. And for that reason, I do think that the, the, the midfield department in particular, but the, the players as a whole, all the players, they, they have to be really mobile and really energetic and full of youth and vigour and all that. I mean, it's the typical Red Bull model, really, isn't it? You you would not have any Red Bull team 
with an average age of, of 29 or whatever Liverpool's currently is at the moment. Um, but it brings us on to the big talk. I've been avoiding this one, as I said, but we might as well tackle it because it's, it, it's, I suppose it's growing. It's not, an, I don't know. But in, in terms of Jurgen Klopp, anyway, what, what have you made of his season, mate, in terms of, as an individual, I suppose, you know, his, his performance as a, as a manager slash coach? Well, yeah, I think it, it is fair to talk about it now because, I mean, he himself has even sort of made reference to it with the other um, yeah. sackings that have happened. He's basically saying, he sort of hinted that, well, I might not be here if it wasn't for sort of past seasons and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone would probably agree that that he's not had a great season. Um, it all seems to sort of, how much of this is on him, but it sort of stems to they got the pre-season wrong and everything seems to have, have sort of spiralled from there. And I think you, you can look at some of the, a lot of the substitutions, you know, when Liverpool need a goal, you know, they seem to be taking Nunes off and stuff like this. How much well, of that I, is being, sorry. I, I, I actually thought it was curious that he, he took off Firmino against Chelsea. I thought Firmino was was our best player at the time. I think off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone else who was who looked as close to their normal self, apart from Allison, of course. Yeah. Um, but he, he takes him off first. I thought that was curious. Yeah, I think you could question a lot of the um, the substitutions. I mean, something I've um, again, something I've written this week is looking about Liverpool's lack of goals in in second halves. And you sort of feel like that's kind of on the manager in the sense of, you know, making the most out of substitutions and stuff like this. If you look at Liverpool's last 19 league games, their last half season, they've only scored 11 second half goals. And six of those came against Man United. Now, that was brilliant. I mean, I was there. Whatever else happens this season, I've, I've witnessed Liverpool beat Man United 7-0. So I don't, almost don't care about the rest of it. But, um, yeah. you know, without that game, the other 18 games in the last half season, they've scored five second half goals. And only one of them, which was Van Dyke against Wolves, has, has changed the result in their favour. The others were sort of extending leads or clawing back deficits, but not clawing them back enough and stuff like that. So you've got half a season where they've scored one second half goal that really made any difference to, yeah. to anything beyond us enjoying Man United getting battered. So um, that sort of thing does not reflect well on the manager. You know, these changes that he's making are not sort of making much difference to these games. You know, he'll argue, well, in some of these games, we were already ahead. It didn't matter. We didn't need second half goals. And that's right. But that sort of thing just stands out a long way to me. It's the sort of thing you want from your managers is making these changes to, you know, recovering these games. You know, they've, they've failed to win half of these games. So it's not like they were they didn't need goals in any of them. There was a lot where they did need second half goals in it. And it hasn't been happening. So that, for one thing, is is what makes me feel that he's that he's not had a great season. I should point out before I forget, I absolutely do not think he should go at this point, you know, before <laughs> anyone starts thinking I'm saying that. I yeah. am not saying that. But at the same time, the start of next season, if Liverpool start poorly, the pressure is only going to build from there. And I don't know necessarily whether FSG would, would fire him if that were to happen, but the pressure will build. Does he start to think it's time to walk away? That's another thing. I mean, if Liverpool have a terrible mm. end to this season... He said he's willing to stay and do the rebuild, but is he actually when push comes to shove? I mean, we can only speculate, obviously. Um, he seems like a man of his word, I think. If you look throughout his career, he's you know signed this deal to for another three seasons. But if Liverpool just sort of finish 10th and uh, the season just disintegrates, then 
questions will be asked. They well, they're already being asked, but they might be being asked a bit more loudly than than a lot of people are prepared to at the moment. I mean, what what's your view on how he's done this year? Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I don't think he's had a great season. Um, I agree with you in terms of right now. It's it's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Klopp is still very much the right man. If I was in charge, if I was a sporting director, whatever, it wouldn't even cross my mind. It's absolutely not a solution yet because I think there's issues to be resolved on the pitch. I think he's, he's squeezed absolutely everything he possibly can from the group, but particularly the midfield. I always go back to it. Uh, and we haven't yet upgraded that midfield yet. So once we do, then we can reassess moving forward. But I think, I think his initial midfield decision kind of fostered the bad season, if you like. Obviously, we we missed out on too many, and the solution was give Milner a new contract. First game of the season, Thiago gets injured. We draw against Fulham. Then I think we draw against Palace, and then we lose against Man United. Then it's panic stations because I think Cater was also injured at the time. Klopp starts Almost agitating. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. Klopp starts agitating for a midfielder. Um, we don't really have plans to get one, so we end up loaning Arthur Mello, who is another injury-prone midfielder, who is absolutely not a Jürgen Klopp player and not a player who's going to put pressure on the ball. So there, there's your initial issue right there. And I think throughout the season, it's worth noting that he's managed injuries consistently i'm not sure how much of that is his fault we have no idea mm-hmm. um in terms of his substitutions i do think they've been a bit curious at times and i think he maybe seems more inclined than ever to make substitutions that seem pre-planned and fitness focused rather than impacting the game um yeah. and change changing proceedings and things like that um and i think his I think his tactical approach has become increasingly galaxy brain um, because of potentially the, the impact of either Linda's or the, this desperate search for evolution. And I think that, that impacted us at the start of the season when it comes to where Trent was, was popping up and things like that. Um, but I think in terms of... Th- th- there's been some suggestions that like Klopp should adjust his approach to kind of compensate the players that he currently has because they're not the players that he had three years ago. I understand that, but even in the summer, you're going to tackle that and you're going to address that problem by getting in the kind of player that you had three years ago. You you would be making short-term adjustments there at the expense of like what you do in long-term. So I still think that it's a transfer window issue, but... This is, I think it's quite ominous that really, if you look at it, I think he's probably got to a Christmas, to be honest. I think if at Christmas we are still like this, I think he, I think he potentially walks. I, I think he would walk before Liverpool sacked him. Um, yeah. yeah. But when you, when you actually think that the, we've had a lot of different points this season, we've had players returning from injury, we've had a new signing in Gapo and We've had a Christmas break, a warm weather training camp and the World Cup and, and all that. Nothing's changed. N- nothing. Um, no, nothing. Go on. Don't say that's what sort of concerns me. Like it's sort of similar to 2020, 2021 in the sense of all the injuries. 
and that season he managed to get it back on track and he you know he picked uh phillips and reese williams to play center back which people may not have done but he did it and it and it worked out but there just hasn't been any sign of anything he's trying um working or doing anything perhaps that extreme and you know it's a different scenario and there's a lot more miles on the clock on a lot of the players and stuff like that the ones that are available but yeah it just sort of feels like nothing he's trying has, has really worked all that well well he has tried an awful lot as well that's that's worth throwing in there you know we've had we've had four three three four four two diamond um there's been kind of like a four two 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 kind of alternative thing recently uh we've went back towards the mid block at times um obviously Nunes has started playing out wide Gakpo through the middle playing like Firmino we've, we we have done a lot he's dropped a lot of the key performers you know Henderson and Fabinho I think missed about four or five games in a row Naby Keita and Bessetage were starting every game mm-hmm. he, he's done kind of everything really and 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 nothing has really impacted him any, anything um it's not just results which is what it was kind of a few seasons ago when we had that blip it's also performances now we are not really much of a elite team in the numbers performance wise particularly defensively but again i would go back to i i've said all season that it's a transfer market problem it's the kind of issue that can't really be resolved internally because we don't really have an engine room at the minute in my opinion um so once we get that i will then kind of start from scratch almost with with my perception on it but if it stays the same for half half of the season next year next season that that's when you kind of panic stations and um you know do we call time on this basically because then then it would be weird because then then it's kind of like well you, everything has kind of happened to enforce the change but no change has happened it's almost a case now of the manager's no longer getting the most out of the players the players are kind of performing beneath their level and they have been for 18 months by christmas i'm talking by yeah, christmas yeah. um but i'm getting ahead of myself there well maybe a little bit but it's it i think it's a fair question to ask as we say i think you know as we say, the pressure will build if they start next season badly. There's there's no doubt about that. I think the thing to remember is obviously if let's say that um, Klopp left this summer, whether he was sacked or whether he quit or whatever, every club in Europe would be on the phone to his manager, uh, to his agent, sorry, to try and say, you know, does Klopp want to come and manage us and stuff like this. And Liverpool, almost certainly, whoever their next manager is, will almost certainly be a step down from Klopp as well, whenever he goes, because he's, he's elite. He's, you know, I would say arguably the best for what he's achieved with the sort of relative yeah. financial um, backing he's had compared to, um, uh, well, Man City in this country and Bayern Munich in, in Germany and stuff like that, you know. So it is important not to lose sight of that. You know, any club would would take Klopp probably in a heartbeat, more or less. So we don't want to overreact in that sense. But yeah, he, he's not had a good season, but hopefully a bit of a sort of refresh over the summer for him, some of the players the transfer market, as you say, bringing in the right players um, and things can sort of pick up again. Uh, but if they don't, uh, we might be having this conversation um, in September and October and November and December next season or whatever. Yeah. I mean, what I will say is I, I do think he deserves massive praise for essentially not completely losing the plot. <laughs> yeah. Because for, for the past, what is it, eight, ten months of the season or whatever it's been, he... 
bottom line is Klopp, Klopp's a winner, and we know we we have seen that when results don't go his way, he's not always he can be a bit spiky and mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. And you've got to bear in mind Liverpool. It's Liverpool were out of every cup competition by March, and we've had some pretty embarrassing defeats in terms of Real Madrid and Manchester City recently, and uh, we've had lots of kind of like false dawns. Um, things like that and I think obviously throughout this Klopp's had to consistently show up for these interviews and press conferences and things like that and he's had to basically explain listen why are your team bad why aren't you winning games why aren't you winning games why aren't you winning games and I'm sure he probably just wants to say I don't know what the players are doing they're not performing <laughs> to the usual level I haven't got a midfield department Van Dijk's fell off a cliff where's Fabinho I'm sure he wants to say all of this but yeah, and I'm sure the likes of Antonio Conte, Jose Mourinho, they, they would all, Thomas Tuchel, they would all have said this. And by now, they've, they'd have probably all basically been at the bridge and left. And Klopp has been, I don't know what the word is really, but he's 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 still managing the ship and he still looks relatively composed, hungry. He doesn't look particularly tired. He still looks up for the fight. Um and I do think he deserves credit for that because that's that's very much easier said than done. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree with what you say. He could he could have been much harder on the players in the in the press than than he has been, and and possibly wants to. But I'm sure he knows. Obviously, he knows he's got to keep these guys on side. You know, whatever happens in the summer, there's not going to be a massive massive turnover of players. A lot of players he's picking now, he's going to be picking next season as well. So he can't sort of burn his bridges with them, as you say. Um, but yeah, it must be difficult. I'm sure, like anything but like when when they're not winning week after week the endless sort of press conferences is uh is not going to be easy for him to to take i mean there was that um issue after one of the games where he sort of said oh i'm not going to answer a question from you or something like that and i think he got the wrong journalist anyway like <laughs> yeah, it's did, just yeah. not a good look when stuff like that happens and it just sort of hints at the at the pressure he's inevitably feeling i mean you know managing liverpool is always pressured even when they're doing well but when they're doing badly. I mean, it's got to be one of the most pressured jobs there is, I would imagine. And I think as well, you know, he's tried not to make a thing of it, but like how last season ended must have been so like mentally um, like draining and demoralising, just going through 63 games to only, in inverted commas, win two cups. I mean, that's not a bad season for most teams, (laughs) but it could have been so much better. To, To come so close and to only have the sort of two cups must have been hard to take. Never mind what happened in Paris, sort of outside the stadium, and, and you know that's the toll that may have taken as well. So all that mental pressure to start the next season so 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 soon, and to start it not well, and it's you know as we've been saying, this whole podcast really kind of snowballed from there. Lots of little issues snowballing um, to to leave them in in quite a hole. And uh, yeah, with, with ten games to go, I don't think they're going to make the top four. To be completely honest, I mean. Mm. I might change that view if they put in a good performance and beat Arsenal on on uh, on the weekend. Things will look a lot better if they do. But as I sit here now, I don't think that's going to happen. So then it's like, well, where do they go from there, really? Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, yeah, we probably probably do have to beat Arsenal for that. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've spoken about a few times that what you kind of want from from any manager if you if you targeting any manager in the market or anything like that. What you generally want is a coach who is who is kind of delivered a proven ability 
to get more from his players than he realistically should. Someone who overperforms with a group. Klopp's overperformed consistently throughout his whole career at Mainz, Dortmund, now Liverpool. He shouldn't have received, he shouldn't have reached the heights that he did at each club. Consistently has, and that's because he's special when it comes to doing that. Uh, and that's why it largely makes sense to view getting rid of him as kind of like the last solution on the list almost. For me, it is the last solution on the list. We are certainly not there yet. Um, but as, as I said, it, if Liverpool continue like this, it will get to a point where that becomes more of a more of a solution. And last season, at the end of the season, when Arsenal finished fifth, I think it was, I appeared on an Arsenal podcast, uh, Football London, and the, the ladder I appeared on with the host was a bit more open, I suppose, to changing the coach, changing the manager and, and, and getting rid and things like that. And I, I kind of explained my point to him, reasons to, for keeping him was, did, did he think that Arsenal's season, Arsenal's level results, whatever, were being limited by the coach or the level of the players? And at the time, I said it was the players and he kind of agreed. And then in the summer, they go and get two Premier League winners in Zinchenko and Jesus and they get in there, uh, Fabio Vieira and, and Thomas Parsi suddenly fits every week. And it, it made a big difference, essentially. So one question I do have for you to kind of close is, Liverpool this season, obviously currently sixth, it's not very good. Would you say Liverpool's performances slash results are kind of being defined by the players and their individual level as a group or the coach? Am I only allowed to pick one and not just uh, throw them no, all? No, the no, no. <laughs> I'll give you my answer. My answer would have been a bit of both. That, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, I, th- I think it is a bit of both. But at the same time, I think if I had to lean to one or the others, then I'm, then I'm going with the players. But how much of that is their fault and how much of it is, you know, the sort of issues we've been discussing is is sort of hard to say. But for so many of them to, to underperform in one season... Um, Klopp has to take some responsibility for that. Of course he does, but he, he, you know, he can't have been expecting this to to happen, and it has happened, and it's up to him to to sort it. I mean, I think the Arsenal um, example you gave is quite an interesting one because they've obviously shown how quickly things can change, and you know, yeah, yeah. a team with a couple of good signings, a team can turn for the better fairly quickly. I think you know, um, all right, they changed their manager, but Man United have also shown that you know they was- were. You know, they were as bad last that. season as Liverpool are this season, I would think, if not worse. And, you know, they've turned it around fairly quickly. I suppose the counterpoint to that, certainly with Arsenal, is that they're sort of at the start of their project, whereas Liverpool feel very much like they're at the end of theirs. And you can, you can in, you know, inject some new young players into that. But can you turn around the whole sort of seemingly downward spiral of the team? That is an enormous challenge. But... As we say, Klopp is is one of the best managers around, if not the best. And, you know, if he were to go, who do we get in? You know, there's no obvious candidate and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think for me, it's it, the players are more at fault than, than Klopp. But obviously, their performance ultimately rests with him. And if things don't change, as we've said, then he's going to be in trouble next season. Yeah, I think for me, there's just a bit more of a disconnect than he ever has been when it comes to Klopp's approach and 
the group of players he has at his disposal at Liverpool. That's where I think the issue is, and that's why it's a bit of both, because I think Klopp's game, Klopp's tactics, are not particularly suited to the players that he has. So in that sense, you could say, well, Klopp's to blame. It's Klopp's mm-hmm. fault. Klopp should tamper the tactics. He should tweak things. I mean, he has, but, uh, you know, that that's, that, that's what some people would say if they want to blame the coach. I would look at it more as in Klopp doesn't go anywhere. You have to give him players that can execute what he wants. And then you will... He's proved that if you do that, his game can deliver 90 points plus comfortably, which he's done over, I think, three three times, three different mm-hmm. seasons. So yeah. for me, that that's the that's the biggest issue. Um, so this summer has to be... The, the priority has to be kind of give him players again who can execute his game to the highest level and won't encounter difficulties in doing it. Um, and hopefully if we do that, we'll just demonstrate the same resurgence that we showcased a few years ago when we finished third, I think, uh, mm-hmm. when United finished above us. And you mentioned yeah. United there. United are a good example. You know, United this season without Casemiro would have been very different. Newcastle United without Bruno Gimenez would have been very different. Sometimes it can it can just take one player and Liverpool by all accounts are going for at least two in the middle. Um if you get one summer right, it can change the whole landscape. Um showed Liverpool a few seasons back. We you know we got Allison, didn't we? Fabinho, Naby Keita and Van Dijk six months earlier. Mm-hmm. And went and delivered ninety seven points, was it? I think so, yeah, something like yeah, that. Something like that. So it can it can change pretty quickly, but We'll uh, we'll wrap up there anyway. Interesting little episode, but um, biggest sort of debut, mate. <laughs> well, thanks very much. I mean, I hope um, if I come on again at some point, we've got something a bit more positive to to talk about. That was quite uh, quite a miserable <laughs> episode, probably, but um, a lot of good points to cover. And uh, yeah, hopefully things turn for the better this weekend. Yeah, no, I think it's I think every now and then it is healthy to do these kind of shows, though, where we kind of take stock and put a bit of perspective on it. Because lately, when I've checked Twitter and things. People have forgot about the original issues we started to suffer from and what we're suffering from as a, as a result of the snowball effect. And that instead, now now starting to just suggest that we're just not not there mentally and club's finished and Van Dyke doesn't care anymore and all these daft narratives are starting to come out of nowhere. So um, these shows sometimes can can help, I think. But yeah, thanks for joining us, mate. It's been a solid debut, as I said, and um, I'm sure you'll appear again on soon. And to those who have tuned in, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.